the Old Testament says that every word of God is pure. It also says uh, in the Bible, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. So if we hear the word of God, we read it, and we listen, and we think on what the word of God says, we will profit. So our text this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verses 14 through 21, and I hope that you follow along so that we can profit this morning. Now, chapters 10 and, through, and to chapter 13 uh, may be the most emotionally charged section of all the writings of the Apostle Paul. It is powerful stuff. It is penetrating. It is very personal. It is filled with passion. And you can sense and feel his heart for those in the Corinthian church. He lays his heart wide open for us to see it, and it's actually heart-wrenching. So the backstory to this, he's in the middle of being assaulted and attacked in the very realm where he had sacrificially given his life while preaching the gospel. His integrity had been called into question by his enemies. His loyalty had been attacked. His ability to lead was diminished. Accused of lying about his credentials, lying and falsifying his record of ministry, his love was doubted and even denied. He is being reinvented in some kind of an anti-hero, a bad guy, a hypocrite, a deceiver. So this is kind of the worst time for Paul. He's feeling the greatest attack, the most violent assault, and the deepest pain of his ministry. And he's suffering. He's suffering through rejection of the Corinthian church, the one that he founded and loved on. Many in that church did not like him. All because of some false teachers who had come into the church and was creating all kinds of problems for Paul. And now Paul has a mess that he's got to clean up rather than just ministering to people. So he's got a mess. He is in deep pain at this point. He is suffering. And you can see that in chapters 1, 4, 6, 10, 11, 12, and in chapter 13. It is the constant reoccurring theme of this book. And yet, this guy has got heart. Now understand something very important. The greatest impact that you and I will ever have in ministry will always be from the inside out. It's a heart thing. While, you know, doctrine, it's important, and it is, and while theology is important, and it is, having the heart of God, one that is sensitive to the things of God, that is what is important. And that's what Paul had going for him. So what happens here is, is we have false teachers, and we have Paul. Let's take a moment and just kind of break that down and look at the comparison between the two. False teachers, they take advantage of people. They manipulate. They, they intimidate. They're after people's money. They benefit themselves. They're selfish. They're prideful. They're deceptive. They destroy. They use people. They abuse people. They pollute people. And they throw dirt at God's people. They confuse and they discourage they destroy. But take a look at Paul. Humble, a life of sacrifice, honest, selfless, honors God, 
does whatever God wants him to do. He does it God's way. He's very compassionate. He's a shepherd. He's very patient. Do you see the stark contrast here between the two? And Paul points this out as well. Let's take a look at verse 14. Now, for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. The third time. The first time was in Acts chapter 18. And he stayed there like two years, planting churches and ministering to people, presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching. The second time was a painful visit. It was very sad. And we see that in chapter two. And now we find out, here it is, the third time. And he says, I will not be a burden to you. Why? For I do not seek what is yours, but you. I don't want anything from you. I'm not selfish. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for fame. I'm not in it for anything else. I'm not in it for anything personal. I don't want anything you have, Paul says. I want you, and I want you for God, for the kingdom of God. I want you to flourish for God. I want to see you be holy for him, full of righteousness. He wanted to see them give their all for the glory of God. Do you see Paul's heart right there? Do you see Paul's concern for these folks? The love that he has for them, he doesn't want anything from them except themselves. You know what? I'm glad I'm a part of Riverside Calvary Chapel because that's the way our pastor is. He doesn't want anything from us. He just wants to see us grow closer to Jesus Christ. He wants to see us bring honor and glory to God. He wants us to align our lives with the word of God and with Jesus Christ. That's why one of the reasons I like Riverside Calvary Chapel. The other reason is I get to work with Cole. That's worth a donut. <laughs> All right. Then he gives an illustration of verse 14. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. In other words, parents take care of their children. He is saying to the Corinthians that he is their spiritual parent. He's doing what he's doing because he loves them and cares for them, cares about their spiritual life and their growth and their spiritual development. They are Paul's spiritual kids and wanted nothing more than to love them and to see them excel for Jesus Christ, to be more godly, to be more sensitive to the things of God. Verse 15, and I will very gladly spend, notice those three words, very gladly spend, and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. I look at that and I go, that's crazy. <laughs> but notice Paul's attitude. Very gladly, very gladly. It's a giveaway to his whole life. He's happy to help. He's happy to go the extra mile, do all that needs to be done. Most gladly. In other words, I'm thrilled. What a servant's heart this guy has. He's excited over the top about being able to spend. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. Finally, something I can relate to. Spending, I can identify with spending. But Paul's talking about spending on others, not on himself. He's completely happy to spend all that he has until nothing is left for the Corinthians. All his time, all his money, all his strength, all his energy, 
his everything for these folks, all for the sake of their souls. He says, I don't seek what is yours, but I seek you. In other words, the you there is their soul. What did Paul get in return? What did he get in return? They loved him, what? Less. Look at verse 15. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Can you imagine that? What's his response? Is this what I get in return? For the love and the sacrifice and the commitment and giving my all? Instead of being loved more, he was loved less. Is this the thanks I get? I think that's the attitude I would have had. I think I would have said, okay, <laughs> I'm done. See you later. <laughs> I'm going to go to a church that likes me. <laughs> but Paul's not that way. Paul didn't do that. Paul could have, but his attitude was different. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. But be that as it may. Be that as it may. In other words, so what? Who cares? Big deal. Nothing is going to change. I'm going to pour my life into you guys. I came not to burden you. I will continue sacrificing for you. Do you see Paul's heart for these people? Now, why did Paul keep going? Well, one reason was because he refused to listen to the devil and he refused to be swayed by the circumstances. You see, the devil's job is to discourage. And Paul said, no, I'm not going there. I'm not gonna go down that road. I'm not gonna get discouraged. You and I need to do the same thing. When things are tough, when things are hard, when things are a mess, when things are difficult, when there are challenges, stay focused on God and the task that he has set you on. Again, why is Paul this way? Why does Paul have this attitude? Because he walked with God. He took the time to walk with the Lord. His passion was driven by that. His whole life was an act of worship to God. He was committed to the edification of the church, specifically the Corinthians. In verse 16, it says, Yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. And Paul, he's being a little bit snarky here, right? He's basically saying, I don't think so. I'm not cunning. I'm not sly. I am who I am. Let's look at verse 17. Did I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent to you? Now, where did the Corinthians get the idea that he was anything other than a very godly man? Well, the idea was planted by false teachers that had been infiltrating the Corinthian church. And the church bought it hook, line, and sinker. In other words, they didn't do a very good vetting process with the church back then. They let whoever and everybody in and into leadership. Now, the other thing I like about Riverside Calvary Chapel is we have sort of a, a vetting process here too. And when I first started coming here and I wanted to serve, they said, we'd love to have you serve. Now, just attend for six months so we get to know you and you can get to know us. And I thought, okay, fine. If that's what it takes to serve here at Riverside, I'll just kind of wait it out. And I'm thinking, this is crazy, whatever. And so after about five months and one week, I got into serving. I didn't tell Jeff I kind of jumped the gun, but I just wanted to get going, right? And I started serving as an usher, and I met Tom, and I met a lot of you guys. And the smile, you couldn't rip it off my face. It was wonderful. But then, you know, we have a vetting process. I remember the first time I, I was working in a church, and I'd been there for a long time. 
And they said, we need to do some background checks. We need a background check on you, Stuart. And I'm like, well, what? A background check? I, I'm, I'm okay. And they're like, no, we need to protect the church. We need to make sure a background check. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Came back clean. <laughs> it's still clean. <laughs> so, so there's a vetting process, right? And that's important. Why is that important? To protect the church. To protect the church. See, the Corinthians church, they didn't have a vetting process. And this is why there's such a mess. And Paul had to go in there and try and fix this mess. We have a vetting process. We want you to serve. We really do. We're, we're thrilled that you're willing to serve. But there is a process so that we protect the church. Now, Paul, he points out the facts. He says, I didn't take advantage of you guys. There's no record of that. There's no evidence. There's nothing. But not only that, let's take a look at verse 18. I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So they were also accusing the people that Paul had sent on his behalf to do the work of the Lord there. Paul says, this is, this is crazy. This, this should not be happening. What is going on here? We did this for your sakes. We did this because we love you. Is this going to be the lot that the more we love you, the less you're gonna love us back? Not only did Paul get thrown under the, underneath the bus, but so did Titus, and so did the other guy got thrown underneath the bus. What a bunch of nonsense. What, what an absolute mess Paul has to deal with. So Paul, he's in deep pain over what is happening. I mean, his life was right, he was godly, there wasn't any sin that he knew about where God needed to discipline him for, and Paul is suffering. He didn't do anything to deserve this kind of treatment. Matter of fact, Paul and Titus, they went the extra mile. They were, they were upfront, honest, it was peppered with love, peppered with kindness, soaked with integrity, and yet it was a mess. Man, that's the kind of church I'd like to pastor said nobody in the ministry, right? You look at that and you go, <laughs> run away from a church like that. Can you relate to Paul at all? Can you relate to him? You look at your life and you say, I don't see anything in my life that's glaringly wrong. Why am I suffering like this? Why is my, why is my marriage suffering? Why am I suffering physically, mentally, socially? Why, what's going on here? What is happening? I mean, if I walk in obedience and I walk in a godly sincerity and holiness before the Lord, and if I have a clear conscience, shouldn't there be smooth sailing through life? Shouldn't all the negatives of life just disappear? And everybody said, no. Oh. <laughs> I wish that was the case, but that's not the case. Now, there's two kinds of suffering. Two kinds of suffering. The Bible says, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and you suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. In other words, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? You get no credit for that. You get what you deserve. But, if you do what is right and you suffer for it patiently and you endure, this finds favor with God. You do find favor 
with God when you endure trouble that is not because of sin. When you do what is right and you suffer for it and you patiently endure, this finds favor with God. This was the boat that Paul and Titus were in and the other brother. Listen, you and I will suffer when we do wrong. You and I will suffer when we sin. Count on it. Count on it. It's like when you send an email, you draft up an email and you hit send and you went, oh, I forgot to do this or I said this. Count on it. There's gonna be a mistake. Peanut butter and jelly jam. If it falls out of your hand, guess which way it's gonna land? Upside down. Jelly first. You wash your car and the very next day, what? It rains or bird, bird poops on it. <laughs> Count on it. It's going to happen. Or you, you have something very special and you put it away in a very safe spot and then you can't remember where that safe spot is, right? <laughs> Count on it. It's going to happen. When it comes to sin, listen, we're not gonna get away with it. Count on it. God disciplines his children. In, in life, you and I, we will suffer. The Bible says all that will live godly in this present age, will suffer persecution. That's a promise that Paul gave. So the more godly we are, the more external hostility we will receive. Hey, listen, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Life is full of pain. It's full of suffering. That, that's life. It's true for Paul. It was true for Jesus Christ. It's true for everyone. This is one reason why we long for heaven. Verse 19, again, do you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. Look at that, we do everything, why? For your edification. For I fear lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish lest there be contentions and jealousies and outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbiting, whisperings, conceits, tumulates. I don't know what that is, but it's got to be bad. Lest, when I come again, my God will humble me among you and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanliness, fornication, the lewdness which they have practiced. Everything that Paul is doing is based on his love of Jesus Christ and his love for the Corinthians. He's doing all this for their edification, for their profit, that they may benefit. Now, this makes me think, do we do that? Do we do that? Are we like that? Do we think of others this way? Do we, do we build others up with our spoken words and with our written words? See, the Bible says that we're to encourage one another and all the more as you see that day approaching. I don't really like that verse. I really don't. Because this is where I mess up the most. Especially with those that are close to me. Thank goodness for 1 John 1, 9, where it says, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's enough public confession as far as I'm concerned. So, Paul puts others first. And we should as well. 
Philippians chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4 says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Paul puts others first. We should put others first. It's a good practice. It's a godly practice. It's a biblical practice. It's what Christ asks us to do. Others first. One way we can do that is by practically serving one another. I like to ask people, what's your ministry? What's your ministry? And sometimes people just look at me and they go, well, I go to church. No, that's not what I'm asking. What's your ministry? What's your ministry? Think about that. What is your ministry? Sometimes when I ask that, people's eyes go real big and they just look at me and they don't say anything. They don't know how to respond. But we should all have a ministry. See, we're saved to serve the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Serve him. Take the time, take the effort, and serve Jesus Christ. Serving others. Paul takes all the time, all the effort, and he endures all kinds of hardship. Why? Paul believes that each one of them, of the Corinthians, mattered. They mattered to God. That's why he did what he did. That's why he took all that garbage. That's why he didn't walk away. It's because he looked at the Corinthians and he said, they matter to God. You know what? You matter to God too. You matter to him. You matter to him. You matter so much to God that he sent his son, his only son to this earth to die on an old rugged cross to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin so that we can be reconciled to him so that our sins can be forgiven so we can have peace and heaven can be our eternal home. You think about heaven, no more pain, no more suffering, no more knee replacements. No process with that. That ought to be a hallelujah. <laughs> no more cancer. No more death. No more saying goodbye. No more sin. I don't know, but I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to sin all the time, and I don't like it. In heaven, no more sin. Paul also wrote a lot about sin. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, the Bible says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, past, present, and future, has or will sin. Paul wrote Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look how great God writes the word of God. Can you imagine if he had just left the first part and not given us the second part? The wages of sin is death, and if it ended it there. And then he said, live your life, fellas, fellerets, make it happen. That's not the way God works. In his wisdom and his love for us, he says, yes, the wages of sin is death, but, he says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We would all agree that sin is not good, it's bad. The gift of God, that's great. Ephesians 2, Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Now what is a gift? A gift is something that somebody else buys and pays for and says, here, I want you to have this. If, if you try and earn it, it's no longer a gift. If you try and buy it, it's no longer a gift. If you try and work for it, it's no longer a gift. All you have to do is receive it. And the gift of salvation is for everyone. The Bible said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not may be saved, hopefully saved, will be saved. Romans chapter 10, Paul writes that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a mouth, heart, heart, mouth thing. So the question is this, have you called out to God to save you? Truly, honestly, sincerely called on him to save you? Have you confessed to him that you are a sinner and that you can't save yourself? If you realize that Jesus is who he claims to be, the savior of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, have you been to that spot in your life? Most important thing you can do is not amass a great amount of wealth and money to leave to your kids. A great reputation that'll go down in history. No, the greatest thing that you can do is to call out to the Lord Jesus Christ Ask him to forgive you, to save you, and to change you, and to take you to heaven. The greatest legacy one can ever have when they tell their kids, dad's in heaven, mom's in heaven. The saddest legacy is the opposite. So have you called out to him? Because that's the most important thing that you can do in this life. I did that at age 16. I realized who Jesus was. I realized that I could not save myself and I confessed that I was a sinner and I asked him to save me and to change me and he heard me and he'll hear you as well and do the same thing for you that he did for me.